0: Welcome to episode number 31 of The Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kortz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you all are safe and well. So we're just hitting the road again, and I'm producing most of this episode from hotel and dressing rooms. Uh, today we're in Burlington, Vermont, in a hotel room on a day off. Uh, I was able to get the feature interview done just before we left, though. Things are definitely getting better out here, and with everyone, including myself, back to work and traveling again, it's getting a little bit harder to nail down guests and find the time to get it done, but we're going to keep plugging away at this as long as we can. I want to thank everybody who listened to episode number 30 with my drumming partner, Dino English. Honestly, I was overwhelmed with the number of folks who have tuned in and all of the great feedback I've received, so thank you again very, very much. This episode is going to be a complete 180 from that, though. It's an all Texas kind of day, and although my guest might not be familiar to all of you, he is certainly familiar with and a big fan of the Dead. I'm honored to bring along 10-time Grammy winner, founder, and leader of the legendary Western swing band Asleep at the Wheel, the one and only Ray Benson. Ray has been a Dead fan since the very early days, and his and the Dead's career have intertwined more than you might realize. He was home in Austin, Texas when we spoke, and for me it was really educational and a very eye-opening conversation. Staying down in Austin today, we're also going to speak with Joel Fallhaber from Deadeye ATX and find out a little bit more about the scene down there. So as always, I'm glad you're here. And before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month, which gives you exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, And this time around, that's going to include some footage of our rehearsal with Bob Weir uh, at the Warfield before our show with him. And you can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all the proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net, and wherever you are listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. So here we go. Let's get started. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today, sticking with the Texas theme, we honor blind Willie Johnson. Blind Willie Johnson was a gospel singer, guitarist, and evangelist. He was born into a family of sharecroppers near Pendleton, Texas in 1897. Very little is known for certain about his childhood, and there are many conflicting legends. We do know that he was given a cigar box guitar at the age of five by his father and immediately took to it. Like most African American families of the day, they attended church weekly, and Johnson knew that he wanted to be a minister early in life. He was not born blind, and while there are numerous theories on how he lost his sight, it is agreed upon that it happened around the time he was seven years old. At some point, he met another blind musician named Matkin Butler, who had a powerful singing and preaching style that influenced Johnson's own vocal delivery and repertoire. He recorded a total of 30 songs over five sessions beginning in 1927 and ending in 1930. The majority of his songs were holy blues or gospel blues with titles such as Jesus Make Up My Dying in Bed, Oh Lord If I Had My Way, which was actually an early version of Samson and Delilah, and the one we'll hear today, Nobody's Fault But Mine. Now, if you follow the lineage back, you can find how he came to influence the dead. His mastery of the gospel blues style influenced generations of musicians. Uh, one aspect of this was his bottleneck guitar technique, which was immediately influential on Robert Johnson and Howlin' Wolf, both of whom had a large effect on both Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir. Another major player in the dead world that he had an influence on was the Reverend Gary Davis, who took the tune Oh Lord If I Had My Way and turned it into the version of Samson and Delilah that the dead audience is familiar with. Johnson's music has been covered by a wide range of artists, including Led Zeppelin, Sinead O'Connor, Derek Trucks, and the Blind Boys of Alabama, just to name a few. He recorded It's Nobody's Fault But Mine at his very first session in 1927, and The Dead first played it in 1966. Now, they only played it 31 times, but they were spread out throughout their career. It showed up most frequently in 73 and 74, and it popped up about once a year from 77 through 85. We heard it three times in the 90s, usually coming out of space, but today we hear Blind Willie Johnson's original 1927 recording of Nobody's Fault But Mine.
1: Nobody's supposed to burn mine Nobody's supposed to burn mine But only my soul will be lost I have a Bible in my home I have a Bible in my home But only my soul will be lost mm, Why they telling me how to read Why they telling me how to read I don't need my trouble, Lord Nobody's father but mine Oh, Lord Nobody's father but mine I don't need my trouble, Lord
0: I'd like to take a minute and tell you about Beth Kortz. She is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past 12 years, she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do. Increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action, creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passion, and desires. Are you ready to learn more? Then book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth. Visit www.yourclarity.coach or the sponsor page of TheMusicPlaysTheBand.net. I know she's looking forward to supporting you on your journey. In today's segment of There is a Grateful Dead cover band, and every time we're going to start off our conversations from Texas with Joe Fallhaber of Deadeye ATX. Okay, good morning. How is everybody? I'm still in Burlington, Vermont, in my hotel room, and I'm talking today with Joe Fallhaber of Deadeye from Austin, Texas. They're keeping it alive down in Austin. How are you?
2: Doing well, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure, and very nice to meet you. turns out, after talking, we've got a lot of mutual friends
2: that's right man it's nice so, uh, no surprise right really
0: right right, right. <laughs> so dead eye dead eye down in austin can you give me a brief rundown on your history how you got started and everything
2: well uh to be honest uh we uh the drummer and i actually started the band about it's now about 11 years ago uh and we were at a dark star or, uh, orchestra show at Stubbs. right and uh <laughs> yeah that's awesome. we uh we looked around and we were like, "Wow, they sold out stubs." You know, nobody's <laughs> playing Grateful Dead music right now, really, in in Austin. And uh, we decided, you know, we would. I mean, that's that's all we talked about, and that was something that we loved a lot. It was Grateful Dead music? We were already kind of playing a few dead tunes in our uh, original band at the time, and we were like, "Let's let's give it a go and just see what happens." And uh, the the first gig we kind of threw together was. We had, you know, two, three hundred people show up and it was a total, uh, you know, insane party. And we we were like, oh, my God, we got to do this, you know. So it was kind of timing and uh, y'all inspired us, you know, we're like, wow, (laughs) we can fill a room. Let's see. (laughs) Let's see if we can make something work, you know. And, you know, uh, 10 years later and and a few changes uh, personnel wise and and we're kind of where we wanted to be, you know,
0: that's so. fantastic. So are all, are, are all the, are all the guys in the band deadheads?
2: Oh, absolutely. Right Very on. hardcore. Very and hardcore.
0: What, what's your instrumentation?
2: Um, so I play guitar and sing. I do all the, the Jerry Garcia stuff and then uh, our drummer sings the Bobby tunes. And then we have uh, a bass player and we've got a guitar player that just plays the Bob stuff and uh and an incredible uh keyboardist uh trevor nealon his is a uh, good friend from the band of heathens
0: that's man I'm, I'm wow i'm honored that's very very cool that we were yeah
2: y'all definitely uh, lit the spark, no doubt about it for sure
0: and and how often are you guys playing down there
2: man we do like in austin we try to do a monthly thing we try to keep it regular um and then we we do little regional stuff you know we don't really get out of texas we've done a little we did a little colorado run a few years ago but uh it's it's pretty much a regional thing like houston a little bit of dallas and you know san antonio that kind of stuff
0: right on and when you do our main that, thing
2: is austin and, and probably houston you know
0: yeah, yeah. Do you guys cover you cover all parts of the catalog do you stick to specific eras do you cover do you run the gamut on the tunes you play
2: Yeah. You know, our, our only rule is if the dead did it, we can do it, you know? So that's it. We had to, you know, you gotta have some parameters, right? I mean, you don't want to just, uh, be too crazy. So, um, yeah, we, we we're all over the map and, um, we're trying to get to everything. I mean, it's, we, we actually hired a, uh, our, our guitar player is relatively new. He's been with us for about a year or two now. So we're still kind of, you know, getting in there, but we've, you know, we've gotten through a lot of the stuff and uh you know the big thing with this band is it's kind of like we're always like pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves like this is kind of the band I always dreamed of having as as a kid you know like people that are all in it you know 100% so we're always challenging each other and and trying to play you know as much material as possible you know to to keep it fresh you know right on
0: man do you when you when you tackle these new songs or just maybe some of the more difficult ones any of it really does do you take a specific approach to interpreting it and performing it how do you all go about your approach to the music
2: i would say we we usually will kind of like pick a if not an era like maybe a version and kind of start from there you know a lot of the tunes kind of eventually will evolve or we'll just start bringing in elements from you know, just stuff that we dig, you know, and and make sure it works. But I don't know. We we kind of concentrate on, you know, specifics early on, and then things sort of, you know, uh, blossom out of that. You know what I mean? So it's nice to have something, maybe even just like a specific performance to try to like hone in on, and then we stretch out from there. You know? Yeah.
0: Man, Austin. I mean, one of the greatest music cities in the world. Um. Every genre of music you can think of is down in Austin. Not a huge hotbed of Grateful Dead activity. You know, the dead really didn't come around there very often, if at all. But on the occasions we've been there, we always have great crowds at stubs, like you were talking about. You decided, hey, let's try this. And 200, 300 people show up the first time. So yeah. obviously, there's a bigger dead scene there than people realize. What can you tell us about the Austin dead scene and how it fits in with the huge, with the bigger music scene there?
2: Well, I would say, you know, a lot of the people are, you know, just kind of like jam band fans in general, you know, and and a lot of people move to Austin, um, you know, I would say more music fans move to Austin, you know, the musicians for sure, you know, Uh, but there are, you know, people move here to listen to to go see live bands, you know, that's, that's like a huge part of their life. And so that's who these people are, you know, they're deadheads, but they're also just fans of all kinds of music. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of the animal, you know, they're just folks that they're, they're going to go out two, three times a week and catch as much stuff as they can. They travel a lot, you know, um, and there's, there's definitely like a core kind of crew right? that, you know, which I'm sure is normal, you know, with a lot of, uh, of scenes, but, um, we have a great kind of core crew and actually they, these folks have have really floated us, especially, you know, the last few years during this kind of insane time that we've been dealing with. Um, We had some friends that that built a stage out kind of on a friend's property. And, you know, we were, we were throwing these little parties all through, all through the pandemic, just these, you know, little playing, these little outdoor shows to like 30 of our, you know, our best buds and and best fans are kind of just keeping the, helping us keep the like creative juices flowing and, you know,
1: just kind of keeping
2: it going, you know, like they really helped us and helped us through a a little bit of a transitional uh, period personnel wise, you know, and now we're, we're better for it. So we've got a great crew of people here. They're very supportive. And uh, yeah, I got to say it's, it really feels like, it really feels like something special, you know. Something you kind of, as a kid, you know, think about and dream about. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be great if this band could, uh, you know, totally support us. But, but uh, what it is and what it does for us is—it's really hard to, uh, you know, quantify. It's—it's a—it's uh, a beautiful thing, man. So right on. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. What
0: What is it about this music? in your mind? What is it about this music that creates this community, this subculture? What, 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 what does it?
2: You know, I, you know, I think about that all the time. I think it's, I think it's different for a lot of people, you know, it's kind of obviously a generational thing. I think the people like me and, and, and older, I guess, you know, I, I got to see the Grateful Dead a couple times when I was 17, I saw them in 94 and 95, obviously, you know, that was a strange era, but, but for me, it, it, it was just it changed my life forever, you know and i I think for a lot of people it's 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 a lot it has a lot to do with memory <clears throat> and and having these experiences that are so powerful and um, not necessarily trying to recreate that, but just tap into that memory, you know, like I had this transformative experience seeing this band, you know, and uh, I just want to go see that music and be around people that enjoy that music and just maybe feel that in some way again, you know, kind of communicate with that memory, you know? Yeah, man. And You know, I think the young kids, the younger kids, uh, that didn't get to experience that stuff. They're curious, you know what I mean? I think they, they're like sniffing around and they're kind of like, what, you know, what is this thing? You know, it's different. I, I, I don't
0: really know how to describe it. It's a tough uh, one, man. It's a, it's a, you know, and that's the cool thing about that question. I'll get from all the different people I talk to so many different answers on so many different levels. And then so many times I'll get the, I really can't quantify it. It's, 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 it's I, I get it, man. Well, but I loved yeah. your answers. It was great stuff. And I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you guys keeping it going in Austin. And I'm honored yeah, that you could be part of the inspiration that helped you put it together and want to keep it going down there so thank you so much man
2: Absolutely no y'all were a huge part of it Absolutely
0: man Absolutely. You Again thank you for being here today So we lost our connection at the very, very end there. So we didn't get to say our goodbyes, but that was Joe Fallhaber from Deadeye in Austin, Texas. If you like what you're hearing today, including that little bit of Deadeye that we heard just coming out of there, please consider supporting the podcast with a contribution. We have two ways for you to do this. You can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month. That includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, videos from home and on the road, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal, and part of every contribution goes to the Rex Foundation. You can do this and learn more about the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Thanks for your continued support and helping to spread the word about the podcast. It's uh, getting bigger and bigger every week, and I really appreciate your help. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Grateful Sweats' subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy for a wide selection of cold weather gear, like hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as other Grateful goodies with more than 30 designs like Tennessee Jed, Women Are Smarter, and my personal favorite, Eyes of the World. Visit etsy.com shop gratefulsweats Grateful Sweats or get there from the sponsor page at our website. And right now, if you use the code THE music plays. you save 10% and receive a free PIN. So don't miss out, and don't miss out on the clearance section with items up to 80% off. As soon as you're done listening today, head on over to Grateful Sweats for some great deals. My feature conversation stays down in Texas, where we talk to Ray Benson of Asleep at the Wheel. The Wheel has been keeping the legend of Bob Wills and Texas swing music alive for over 50 years now. They have 10 Grammy Awards and countless other honors to their credit. And Ray's first exposure to the dead came back in the 60s, and his and the band's path crossed with the dead on many occasions. It was really cool getting a perspective from someone who comes from a different genre, but there are many similarities between the styles as well. So here you go. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the one and only Ray Benson. Okay, so I am here today with Ray Benson from Asleep at
3: the Wheel. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Doing good. Dark Star Orchestra. This is going to be November the twenty seventh, nineteen seventy five. Is that right? Is that the, Don't y'all do Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't y'all do shows yeah. from the date? Yeah. yeah, we do. We do. Um, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. No, you guys are great. I've seen uh, your uh, uh, YouTube stuff. Pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this with
0: me. Uh, Asleep at the wheel. Yeah, I know you recently celebrated your fiftieth anniversary. Congratulations for that. Yeah, it's quite a quite a number. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you had a tour that went along with it. You brought back some old friends. Can you can you tell me a bit about that tour and how it was playing with some of your your original and your past members?
3: Oh, it was just it was great. You know, we had uh, Chris O'Connell and Leroy, and uh, unfortunately, Lucky, who uh, started the band with me, could not make it because they wouldn't let him out. Well, they let him out of Australia, but they didn't know if they let him back in. Right. So the three vocalists, uh, Leroy Preston, and Chris O'Connell, myself. So that was that was magic because uh, it was just a vocal blend It was, um, you know, that uh, special. And uh, had a song together for oh gosh, since nineteen uh, 70, seventy-eight or so. Uh, um, and then Tony Garnier, he let Bob Dylan let him off, so he got to play bass with us for. About a week and a half. That was pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. And now that was during the pandemic. That was right before before Omicron hit.
3: Yes, exactly. Uh, we snuck in on October of of uh twenty twenty one. I mean twenty uh uh yeah. And uh so it was very fortunate because uh we wouldn't have got it done and uh so it was uh Anyway, it was great. We went from California all the way, you know, we did the uh, Kennedy Center, we did Mountain Stage uh, from the Kennedy Center, we did uh, the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, um, you know, and had just great shows all the way across. That's fantastic.
0: And now with things starting to calm back down, you guys are pretty much back on the road, hitting it again.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a little different, but uh, certainly back on the road. We just did a cruise. Uh, uh, and uh, the Outlaw Music Cruise, you know, with Lou Harris, Rodney Crowell, etc., cetera, and uh, Steve Earle. Uh, and it was, uh, everybody had to be vaccinated and tested before they stepped on the boat. So that was interesting. Took forever. Right. Right. Uh, but uh, that went great. And then we played some shows in Florida last week, and we'll uh, we'll hit the road. South by Southwest, the music festival happens down here. So we'll be here for that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Now I, I know you've told the story, the history of asleep at the wheel, a million times.
0: So I'm more interested to hear about how you, Ray Benson, got started. I know you grew up in Philadelphia, but how how did your musical journey begin?
3: Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Philly, uh, Springfield, Montgomery County, is where it was actually, and it was like uh, you know, leave it to Beaverville. You know, it was uh, it was the uh, the '50s, and uh, and uh, so it was. Uh, you know, a suburban, uh, brand new suburban development. So all the, everybody had a GI loan and it was, um, one of the first religiously integrated neighborhoods that back then, you know, when my parents grew up in the, in the thirties and forties, it was religiously segregated, you know, Jews lived here, Catholics, lived here, Polish, you know, et cetera. So it was very much, um, homogeneous there was all white people we didn't have any black people but it was all white people but there was a mixed religions which was I guess different from the predecessors so we just you know it was leave it to beaver like it says and Davy Crockett and Roy Rogers and, and uh, we lived in an area that was very rural and so we got to ride horses and and everything and so we so when I was nine, my sister was taking guitar lessons, and I picked up her little four-string guitar and taught myself uh, how to play it. And so we formed a group with the other students that she was with, and uh, we started singing folk music. Nineteen sixty, sixty-one, we were called the Four Gs, and we got our uh, what you call it? we got, you know ordered our uniforms out of the. Uh, Sears catalog and, and, uh, had gut string, nylon string guitars, Goya guitars. And we sang folk music. We sang this land is your land. We did Peter, Paul and Mary songs. We did the limelighters. We did Woody Guthrie. We did, uh, Pete Seeger, you know, and we were very cute, obviously. And, uh, and, uh, we would play at senior citizen centers and. And then in 1961, or maybe it was 62, I'm not sure, uh, we played with the Philadelphia Orchestra for 5,000 people at this um, young people's concerts. And that's when I realized, you know, I didn't get nervous. And I just, I I remember walking out on that stage and 5,000 people and just doing what and it seemed very normal to me. (laughs) So uh, through high school, then I took up... uh, started playing in bands rock bands and and uh, then i played in some square dance bands i, I swear i got into fiddle music uh, my parents uh, sent me to a camp a summer camp uh as opposed to uh, a summer camp for jewish kids this was a quaker camp and they had a square dance band and they said you play guitar come on." and they had some great old-timey fiddlers and so i started learning about country music and then in the uh, ninth grade um they gave me lessons on the bass and because my mom said hey go learn how to play the bass she said i know musicians are always looking for a bass player <laughs> right. and so i went and uh the school gave me upright bass and lessons and i was in the orchestra and then i would play gigs on the weekend i could read i was a reader and they said, hey, you can read bass if You're big. We need a tuba player. Do you play a fall sport? I said, no, no, I'm a basketball player. And so I l- learned how to play the tuba. They gave me lessons, and I got pretty good and played in the orchestra, played in a band, and then took a lesson with the Philadelphia orchestra guy. And he said, you're pretty good. You're going to study? I said, nah, th- you no, know, I think I can get more girls with a guitar. Right. <laughs> and a tuba." Now, when when you're... From that time when you're nine years old and moving up, are you teaching yourself? Are you taking lessons? or Are you all self-taught at that point? First, I was self-taught, and then they gave me lessons. Um, but they were, you know, and they were just starting points. You know, yeah, they were great starting points. You know, the first guy was uh, George Britton. He he taught uh, folk music basically, because folk music was big. Sixty, sixty-one, sixty-two, sixty-three. It was big. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the Case and Trio were a pop act. You know and uh so anyway you know i got i just uh and then a guy i took lessons from a local guitar teacher bob zatzman and he uh he gave me the mickey baker jazz book you know and that's gay started me out learning jazz chords and and of course you know i had already uh learn the Chuck Berry stuff. You know, I was the first, you know, it was playing, well, actually Lonnie Mack and was my hero is, I got to be good friends with him later on, but, uh, Lonnie Mack and Chuck Berry was, you know, that, that was my rock and roll roots. And, uh, of course the Beatles came along and all the Rolling Stones and those, you know, all that. And, uh, but I had a very broad musical, you know, palette. So as you know, I grew up with a lot of very legendary jazz players, uh, the Brecker brothers. and. Uh, uh, my cousin, Mark, is a, still a fabulous uh, Mark Copeland. He's a fabulous postmodern jazz piano player. So I, I, I you know, and, and the schools were great because they had bands and everything. So I was in the marching band, the orchestra and everything, and, uh, the choir. I just wanted to sing and play. You know? so, so you're exposed to all of it, all the different styles,
0: all the different instruments, all the different genres. Uh, two weeks ago, I had my friend Peter Rowan on the show. And my question to Peter had to be how does a kid from Connecticut end up loving bluegrass? So here, same thing. How does a kid from Philadelphia end up loving Western swing and the music of Bob Wills?
3: Well, it started with love of country music, you know, and sort of went backwards from there, you know? So, uh, I love Bob Dylan and, and the burrito brothers and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, learning country music through buck owens and 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 uh, merle haggard and hank williams uh, then if you have a jazz sensibility it leads you right to bob wills and all the other great uh you know and and also like i'm a collector so I, we collect uh, um 78s you know so, and so we would always grab all 78s and <laughs> you know, so. Oh, well, that's, that's how we learned how to play all that stuff. I still, I got over 10,078s and, and 45s. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I, I told my kids, I said, that's your problem when I die, because get, <laughs> getting rid of all these, uh, it's impossible. You know, they're not, you know, some of them are very valuable and some of them just nobody gives a shit about them. So, uh, but it, to me, it was the history of popular music and so I, just always enjoyed uh, the old records, um, but yeah, you know, it's like uh, you got to learn. um uh, And then, okay, and then in 1969, I was going to be a filmmaker, and then I decided, now I'm not. Gonna, I went to New York, worked for Eli Landau, a famous guy, and did a worked on a. I love documentary films, so I was going to be a documentary filmmaker. And went to New York City and worked for a very famous guy, and was going to be an editor and. Uh, director and just said, now go, I gotta go play. Um and that's when I started to sleep at the wheel. Um but it and again it was not to form a Western swing band, not at all. No. We wanted to do quote Roots American music and that was hockey talk music, uh country blues, um uh, real country music, you know, um Buck Owens.
0: What was where, it about that music that was so attractive to you? I mean you're listening to all these different genres. Why does that one pull at your heartstrings?
3: Because I was a singer and a guitar player and so for and a songwriter. So first and foremost, if you're a singer-songwriter who plays guitar, well country music is that's where you live. I mean because it's all about lyrics, music and guitar picking. You know, i love the love and spoonful they were one of my favorite groups and and you know for eighth ninth tenth grade and and what an incredible guy you know that the, the, that's kind of the, the the prototype of like john sebastian you know same thing he he was you know his father was a, a classical harmonica virtuoso um and so he again when your ears are open um to music and you're a singer and a creator songwriter. You know um it always leads you to uh the great nashville and country music and not just nashville but the great country music because that's where words and music really um came together um so that's the country music part and then what western swing gave us was the the ability to to improvise and play jazz and blues you know right right
0: uh, w- the the Wheel comes together in 1970, but that's on the East Coast at first, correct?
3: West Virginia. In
0: West Virginia. Eventually, you all end up in North Northern California, in the Berkeley area. How does, how does that come to be?
3: Well, I went to Antioch College in Ohio, uh, out of high school. Ed Ward, who was uh, the late Ed Ward, who was uh, a writer for uh, Rolling Stone at the time, was teaching a course at and was a student at uh, Antioch. And he booked Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airman to play. And they hung out, and we became good friends. And uh, I said, I'm going to go start a band. And they said, well, call us when you do. <laughs> so I did. And that was in 1969, and, uh, and in the summer of 69. And so uh, after I got through uh, decided not to be a filmmaker and, and, and left New York, I called Lucky up, who was my childhood buddy and cohort, and said, come on, we're going to start a band, and then we took a trip up to uh, visit my sister, who was going to school in Boston, and Leroy, who was a farm boy from uh, Vermont, was their roommate, and we started jamming, I said, hey, we're going to start a band, and you want to join? Sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So that's how it all came about, and uh, Lucky found this farm in West Virginia that these friends of his were caretaking and said, sure, you can move out. There's this uh, 180-year-old cabin, and you can all stay there and help us with some of the little farm work that we do. (laughs) I said, well, okay. (laughs) It was just all this uh, circumstance, and that's how we wound up in West Virginia and
0: and then eventually you get to to berkeley because commander cody comes to call and says come on out when you're ready
3: yeah yeah we had started uh, uh, the weirdness of it all is kind of funny but you know we're living on this farm and, and trying to put a band together in the middle of nowhere just me lucky and leroy my brother was hanging out with us and all of a sudden in a, literally in the middle of nowhere by the potomac river uh these two hippie buses show up and they were headed to washington dc and there was the hog farm with wavy gravy and these guys and they were called the medicine ball caravan and they were going into dc to play and they'd heard there was a bunch of hippies with a band and we said oh yeah that's us not telling them that we really didn't have a band <laughs> but we were going to be one for sure. And they said, well, come on, you can open the band for stone grand uh, stone ground, hot tuna and Alice Cooper. And I called my brother up and, and this a bass player, and we put together some songs and went down and played. And that got us a foothold in Washington, DC <laughs> being with commander Cody. I mean, his band
0: blends country swing and, and psychedelic rock. So that whole vibe is happening.
3: And well, it was rockabilly, I, more rockabilly. They were an incredible rockabilly kind of band.
0: Was when you get out to California with that and, and start hanging with them? Are the Dead on Grateful Dead on your radar by then at all?
3: Oh hell, I saw the Dead in uh, nineteen sixty-eight. In sixty-eight, at, at the uh, Electric Factory, there were two hundred people. It was pig pen was still in the band, and uh, Jerry come off the stage. Back then, there wasn't a lot of back rooms. And, and i shook his hand and uh, i said hey you got a cigarette and he gave me a pack of pall malls <laughs> and uh yeah no i of course and then for, for sleepy will's first big gig after the the alice cooper hot tuna thing we opened for the new riders of purple sage in 1970 at georgetown university and jerry was in the band then and uh he was so nice, man. a wonderful man, just a just a great guy and you know he encouraged us and he said, "I told him what we were doing, and he said, "Oh, you're woodshedding.' I said, "Yeah, yeah, we're woodshedding, <laughs> which was an old term for you know you'd go to the woodshed to practice, you know right and uh so he was just great and uh and then we opened for Poco. no, we opened for Poco the week before that was it and yeah, Jim Messina was great and it was the and Richie Furry and all those guys. And so I had a back, yeah, I could get backstage. And so the next week the new writers were playing. So I went to to hang out and that's where I met Jerry. Right on. Did did what was it when you first saw them in sixty six? What was the impression? What what was your thoughts? 68, nineteen six sixty eight, I'm sorry,
0: the electric effect, sixty eight. What's your impression when you see this band?
3: Oh, I love the dead. The the first album, you know, that's you know, what this uh, you know. I bought the first album in 67, so um, they were great. They, You know, that that, that original band with Big Pen was kind of like an R&B rock, psychedelic R&B rock band. You know, it was more of an R&B, R&B kind of thing. And they were great. I saw Janice with Big Brother and the Holding Company. They were amazing. They are incredible. You know, I missed Hendrix because my parents wouldn't let me out of the house. I had a final the next day or something. But yeah, uh, the dead were one of my favorites. I mean, and of course, the new riders. And, uh, you know, I got to be friends with David and, 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 uh, what's his name? <laughs> Named after the uh, buddy? Marmaduke. Mar- yeah. Oh,
0: Marmaduke, right. Um, as you guys get out to California now, you, you know, the dead in, in 70. Are you, are you in California in 1970? 71 71 so you get out there just a little bit after working man's dead and american beauty had been released um those two i mean are such a departure from the the psychedelic part of the dead did that appeal to you more a little bit that that americana kind of thing
3: they started to do absolutely just we realized also was that's a that's who we had to not compete against but that's who we had to reckon with um and that's when we sort of went well, maybe we don't. Maybe we should just go to Nashville and try to sneak in the back door, because uh, at that point, you know. So that was the decision. No, I love the guys, but we realized that that was not going to be our path. You know, it was not going to be a hippie rock band. This, we were going to sneak in to Nashville, uh, even though we were uh, Jewish hippie uh, suburban kids. We were going to go make it, and in, in, in that world and we were better suited to play that kind of music than jam band music you know so did hearing how
0: they interpreted the country stuff did that have an influence on the way you interpreted the music or did it like you were saying did it totally send you the other direction oh
3: yeah yeah no it's just i'm not going to try to be the grateful dead you know or crosby stills and national you know or james taylor those were the three that i think uh really you know distinguished for us, that kind of music, I went, no, no, we're, 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 uh, we're going to be like Buck Owens or, and that led us to Bob Wills, you know, and, and whatnot. But the, the band, the original band was, no, we would do Porter Wagner songs. We would do, um, but we were not going to be a jam band. No, you know, that was, that was it. I love the guys, you know, but uh, again, uh, the most important thing you can do is be your own self, you know? And so was, that was the whole idea, you know, just don't, uh, uh, one of the things, you know, the wheel and the
0: dead both took influence from all kinds of forms of American roots music and, and have really been an integral part of keeping that traditional music alive. Do you
3: feel that connection, that parallel between asleep at the wheel and the grateful dead? Well, I do, because of, because, like I said, my interaction with those guys was was always positive and and, and, and enlightening. You know I mean, I remember Bob Weir used to do El Paso for kind out loud, still know. does it, yeah, I mean, you know, come on <laughs> it's like um uh, you riders gonna miss me when I'm gone, all those kind of stuff, and all of the folk stuff that you know I mean- you know we also played with old in the way uh we played with them uh, uh with the original one, which was John Kahn and uh Jerry and uh, uh David and uh vassar clements right was, and, and uh before peter uh, was peter ever part of that band I oh yeah know. he
0: sure was yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he's the one on the album
3: yeah but he was he wasn't in the band
0: for that first uh, at the but, beginning you're right he wasn't and then he came yeah. on like i said he was with me two weeks so he actually played with my band just about about three weeks ago um sat in with us in san francisco so he came in he's on the album he played the bulk of the shows but he was not there at the very beginning which sounds yeah like no he about.
3: was with bill monroe when i first uh heard about him Um, and, uh, we used to play with Monroe. I used to uh, share a bill with him, uh, uh, you you know, and all that. So, uh, you know, so yeah, all these guys, um, but now the dead was, like I said, we understood that was not our path, you know, uh, and, uh, um, but in terms of influences, of course, because we were long haired dope smoking, you know. Uh, ex-hippies and in nashville that was a no-no <laughs> <laughs> let's talk to, like, jerry Let's you mentioned bob as well
0: they have such unique playing styles when when you see them how would you describe their playing styles and does that have any influence on you
3: oh jerry was a master i mean he was he was uh you know his stuff is like you say it's original it's you know nobody else plays like that um it's uh, improvisational obviously and uh and great you know the thing about bands is um it's like making soup and so like you know uh, bob weir ain't the best guitar player the best singer or nothing but he he's perfect for that band you know he's he's like uh, it's, it's like i say whatever the chemistry is between bob jerry uh anyway and, and you know like i say it's like i say this is a sound and they're incredible you know it's none of them are polished except really Jerry Is I mean he's so original but together they are they're a sound and and it's incredible you know i mean um, so anyway that's what personalities are all about and then i i mean i like i produced a record on uh, um Rob Wasserman and Rob had that band with uh rat dog with uh yeah rat dog with bobby with bob and boy he had all the old that old piano player from the chuck berry yeah, and uh, johnny johnson johnny johnson I man, coolest stuff man you know so you know what can i say you know there's those guys are great and of course jerry uh you know brought pedal steel uh, to the masses you know and b- b- between the uh new riders and between the crosby stills and nash you know teach your children uh cut and, you know he was so important to introducing rock musicians to uh, i mean rock dance to to the pedal steel you know right i would say that although
0: the dead's brand of music and western swing are very very different genres one commonality is the room to improvise and you touched on improvisation a, a little while ago exactly uh, but within that context the big difference is that with the Western swing, the pulse and the groove kind of have to remain the same to keep it danceable. So can you talk a little bit about your approach to a tune from an improvisational standpoint?
3: Well, it's just all about chord structure, you know. Um, And I I live by a quote that Johnny Gimble told me, uh, which was Bob Will's advice to the new band members. He says, now when it's your time to play, play everything you know. and then he paused for a moment and he said and if you want to play the melody that's good too (laughs) right right so that's that's where i'm at i mean i'm gonna play everything i know how to play and i just might play the melody too is are you able to
0: leave it open-ended for soloing or does it have to stay within a structure
3: uh the structure is always there but the soloing can continue in any way shape or form yeah And and
0: you let the guys in the band take it out as much as they want, or do you keep is is there uh is there a limit to how far you can go with with the music that you're playing?
3: Yes, yeah. That's part of the thing is that uh that was the other difference, is that I said, you know, a narrow view uh of music enables you to uh go deeper into it, you know. So yeah. So extended long solos, uh no. Um but you know, multiple solos, yeah.
0: Right right uh in 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 today's in today's day and age with with all the different forms of music are all combined now so there's it's not just we don't have country fans and we don't have rock fans we have music fans because fans now can hear everything and they gravitate towards multiple genres how much is if any is there any crossover
3: that you see amongst the wheel fans and the deadheads? oh absolutely yeah um i'll tell you i learned this many years ago the great a record- uh, record store called tower records uh and back in the seventies and eighties it was you know that's where you bought your records probably and they did a survey and they they said after you bought your records uh, they would s- say what what do you consider yourself a country music fan, a rock and roll fan an RB b fan a classic you know and all these different things and they put all of this data together and and he said you know the 40% of them like pop pop music 30% like rock music 40 you know etc and then there was this thing called 20% of the people who bought records were what they called seekers and they bought all genres not only that but they bought more records than any other genre mm-hmm. And that was the thing, Seekers, they called them. And I remember Lucky's dad, who was an old record collector, Lucky played Steel with us and started the band and thought up the name. And his dad always said, oh, you know, he collected uh, jazz records and and stuff. He said, there's always, you know, a group of folks who pointed a solo and go, did you hear the so-and-so solo on that song? Oh, man, you know, as opposed to most people just know, you know, they listen to music rather, uh, you know, ephemerally as opposed to, Digging deep into the you know, right, there. do you guys ever find yourselves performing for the jam band crowds? Um, n- no, we have not, not that we wouldn't, but uh, you know, we did well, we did a tour with Dylan, yeah, and went over great, yeah, it went over wonderful. Right after, if I was right after Bob Weir had done it, he had been weir had been opening the Dylan shows
0: How would you compare that style crowd to a more traditional country audience?
3: Um. They all applaud, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they all applaud. I don't know. I, I do, I do less talking more playing. You know. Really?
0: Yeah. Just because you feel they want to hear that their, their, their ear is more to the music.
3: Yeah. Well, it's you know, the, 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 yeah, it's, you know, that's like, you know, that's just the way I approach it. And I think it works a whole lot better. You know, they don't want to hear a bunch of, of talking, whereas the country crowd is, they expect, you know, interesting see stuff yeah and see the, the the jam band crowd is 100 or
0: 180 degrees the opposite because most of the bands don't say a word we come out we play our music right. we
3: walk off that's the right. stage that's and, exactly right and yeah. i know that because I was, I was gonna you know it's uh, hey how you all doing No, that ain't gonna work you know <laughs> it's just uh, you know say howdy and uh, uh might might name the songs we're playing you know Right. And with the jam band crowd with bands, you know, that the genre that we play in, you'll get a good evening and a good night. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they want. So it's you know, I can, yeah, that's, that's the difference for sure. And you know, better than anybody, but the, the dead community is, is exactly that. And it's, um, it's, I, I tell, I would, I, I used the other day, I told somebody we were talking about, it and I always said, uh, Hey, music uh, bands were just the soundtrack for mating. You know, and I said, Grateful Dead folks, they go to a Grateful Dead show. Sure. They love the music, but they go because the people there are their people. They can, they can, maybe they're going to meet a girl or maybe they will be able to score some safe drugs or maybe, you know, they're, they feel safe in this community. And, uh, it's, it's something that is, um, I said, it is really, uh, shows the human beings really need this tribal sense of. of of belonging to something yeah you know and uh the 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 dead somehow provided that over 60 years or and 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 continue to live on you know yeah Uh, it's i I see it every week you know every show
0: we do and it's amazing when the show is over and a group of 20 will get together for their family photo that they take at every show they're 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 family
3: yeah you know it's uh and it's uh it's uh, very affirming, and it's uh, it's it's just such a great thing. So,
0: asleep at the wheel. You guys have put out, by my count, what I was able to find out: twenty six studio albums. Who knows how many live discs? Ten Grammy awards. You've been able to sneak in a few solo albums over the years. That is just a ton of songwriting. And I'm I'm, I'm sure your inspiration comes from many places. But do Robert Hunter or John Barlow have any influence as songwriters on what you do?
3: i really respect their stuff yeah um you know absolutely you know as uh as a lyricist is fantastic i mean that's the hardest part of to me you know i can write melodies and chords all day literally you know but having something to say and whatnot and as opposed there's literal and there's poetic you know or so those are the two things so do they have an influence no i i try not to be influenced by any songwriter except for from a musical step from a you know the melody chord chain standpoint um lyrically i try to I, I found out that i'm just it's 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 what comes out of my brain so try to emulate or i'm trying not to be influenced by anybody because then you're you're just second best anyway I just admire their stuff and 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 uh if there's something to learn from them it's usually admiration for how they use words you know
0: well then my question would be where and i don't know if you can answer but with the massive output of songwriting that you've had where does your lyrical inspiration come from does it come from topical things or does it come from
3: telling stories you know oh yeah no it's this from everywhere it's from listening to people's conversations it's uh, watching television and hearing something and oh let me write that down no i'm sitting here uh, amidst piles of papers with scribbles on them you know that's where that's where it is the stuff pops in your head and then of course now that i've got these these iphones and stuff you know, just talking to the iPhone or singing to the iPhone. Okay, this is, you know, fragments. I just work in fragments. Very rarely do I ever sit down and write a whole song. It does happen, and that's quite a gift. Um, but usually I'm just finishing up, you know, something that I started 12 years ago or something, you know, just <laughs> wading through piles of paper going, What was that idea? Oh, and, or or voice messages. I used to have a cassette thing and it would talking to yet, you know to me it's uh, uh a lot of times i'm driving along in a car i remember uh, somebody told me that when bob dylan lived in new york and he was starting to really write because he didn't start out as a songwriter he started out as you know he did everybody else's and he wasn't his first record is all covers pretty much and um he said he would sit in the back of a cab and tell the driver just drive <laughs> drive around new york city sitting in the back with a notepad my golly you know this is you know you can see everything before i let you go first of all thank you again for taking the time
0: today i do this with all my guests and i've done it with peter rowan you mentioned hot tuna earlier i had yorma on not too long ago and and i do this with all them just a quick lightning round i'm gonna ask you some questions try and answer them without thinking too much
3: well i i I have a greatest respect for yorma he's one of my Early heroes uh, from the Jefferson airplane into Hot Tuna, you know, great That's, guy.
0: He is a great guy. I've gotten the pleasure to play And One of the things he said that really struck me was if it wasn't for riding around Santa Bay Area in a station wagon with Garcia, he would still be an acoustic player playing folk
3: tunes in a coffee shop. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Cause that's what he was doing. And he and I, uh, went, to, he went to Antioch college too. I, uh, he, we talked about that one time, he and John, John Hammond jr. too. uh, John Hammond went to Antioch and, uh, uh, we're a trio of some of the, uh, great musicians that dropped out of that school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you already mentioned this one, but again, your first grateful dead show. Yeah. Electric factory 1968 your
0: favorite grateful dead album
3: the, the first one what's it called I, uh...
0: well the, the first one that's just called grateful dead yeah yeah uh uh your favorite okay this is a tough one if you're on a desert island the one album you can take with you that your favorite de- favorite album any genre what's the one
3: you're going to live with the rest of your life you can't do that to me. You can't That's put me you in loud, man. You're just sorry. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a compilation album, by the way, <laughs> that not, I put together. They, they call them mixtapes. in the '80s. Ray's mixtape. All right, yeah, yeah, fair it's, enough, it's, man. Fair it's, enough. it's Ray's mixtape. I can tell you who's on it, but not one guy, because if it was one person, you'd wind up hating them. <laughs> right. Give me a couple <laughs> who'd be on it. There you go. Hank Williams, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Bob Wills, Bob. Uh, did I say Bob Dylan? The Rolling Stones, um, uh, John Coltrane, uh, uh um, um, uh, what's his name? yeah, uh, dude, uh, Across crossroads. Da, da. Oh, Clapton. No, no, no. The original. Oh, Robert, Robert Johnson. <laughs> Robert Johnson. Thank yeah. you. Robert Johnson <laughs> 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 and, uh, Bobby blue Bland. All right, if you ever make that tape, will you send me a copy? <laughs> I have it here in my car right now. Right <laughs> um, uh, first job, uh, did I, I've never, well, oh, for you know, like, uh, you know, besides cutting lawns and shoveling snow, um, I got out of that by teaching guitar. It was just a uh, they said, 50 cents a student, and you five students, I'll do it. So that's uh, great. You I mean, as a grown up? I never had a job. I, I was an apprentice editor uh, for three months in New York City. I was going to be a filmmaker for Eli Landau, who was a legendary producer made The Long Days Journey, with, did uh, The Pawnbroker, great movie. And uh, so I did have a job. I, I, work, I got $80 cash a week in New York City in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite venue to play? Oh, are you kidding me? Jeez. No, man. No, none of my guests like this, but I do it to them anyway. Uh, that i've played the greek theater all right best city for a day off just depends if i'm hungry or i want to play golf <laughs> oh, you're a golfer man we should, we never even went there
0: for me it's all about where's my what's the closest golf course to my city that's yeah
3: yeah that's that's what we do i, was, I played golf yesterday I, both my sons my oldest son was a Allstate, state you know scratch golfer and my other son is, is about a six seven handicap they kill me <laughs> it's still uh, a, but other than that san francisco is always fun to run around best thing to do on a day off for
0: me i mean i take my sticks everywhere on the road with us they live on oh the bus. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah they're on the bus now <laughs> yep mine will be we leave tomorrow
0: to go on tour and mine will be on the bus and as soon as we get our itinerary i start looking where's the
3: days off and where am i playing golf yeah i got very fortunate to have uh, played every where, yeah, yeah, it's uh, because they say I say I got my days off and my nights I work. You know, so do you? Uh, do you have to have custom clubs because you're so tall? Do you have to have them built? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh where, where are we? Because we, yeah, I, I could do a golf podcast
0: with musicians and we could talk <laughs> golf all day. It's it's unbelievable Absolutely. how many of us play golf. It really is. Well,
3: yeah, you know, I become I play golf with Alice, uh, who's who's a very good golfer. Yes, you know, he is. He saved his life yeah absolutely and um yeah i uh i I, and i've made incredible friends on the golf course obviously we know that and uh you know i've gotten to play with some of the legends and 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 some of the great characters and of course some of the great courses
0: that's the best part right there you know yeah yeah is uh I, i learned a long time ago you know when we were when we're on in restaurants or not on stage i always wore a golf hat and I'd be at dinner, and a fan would come up and say, oh, you're a golfer? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I belong to Congressional. Can I take you out sometime? I'm yeah, like, yeah yes, exactly. You may. <laughs>
1: <That's
3: right. laughs>
0: and, and I've made a lot of good friends with fans of the band just that way, you know?
3: No, it's, it's a, it is uh, universal, and I've got to play in Scotland and everything, so I really enjoy it.
0: I call it my great sanity keeper on the road.
3: Yeah, this I'm um, getting a little aware of my body doesn't do anything. So I, I, I the best I ever got was I was a nine handicap, and then uh, I'm not. I can't even. I can't. Uh, you know, I can break ninety on a very rarely now. But you still enjoy it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. uh we're worried if we get again? Golf just gets in the way. Favorite city, favorite city. Uh, best city for a day off. We got to the golf course. Uh, first car. I I bought a car for twenty five dollars. Oh, that was my first one. It was a DeSoto, it was a 1959 DeSoto. Wow. And what you said you bought a car for $25 at some point? And then I bought a car from a guy, no title, nothing. (laughs) It was a Peugeot 403, a French car from a friend of mine for 25 bucks, no title. And you could get away with that sort of thing back then. (laughs)
0: Those are those are pretty small cars, aren't they?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah tight fit for, for you? Well, back then I, yeah, I could fit into anything back then. <laughs> I mean, you just scrunched in, you know.
0: Right, and and my last one, the book you are reading these days.
3: Oh, let's see what's right here. Just finished it, and I love that the leopard is loose, a novel by Stephen Harrigan. It's All a right, fabulous story, and he's a great writer here in Austin, Texas. But he's uh, he's well known.
0: Excellent. Well, again, Ray Benson, I can't thank you for taking the time. Hopefully we're going to get back down to Austin one day, although I have a feeling when we get there, you'll be on the road. Thank you for including me. And uh, It's my pleasure. Right on. All right, That is Ray Benson from Asleep at the Wheel. Take care once again. Thank you so much. You bet. Adios, amigo. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Ray Benson and Joe Fallhaber one more time. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at yourclarity.coach. And, of course, the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out their 70-plus music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week where you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of every contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I will be back again in two weeks with episode number 32, where my guest will be the harmonica virtuoso and dead fan Howard Levy. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. The good side of this is getting closer, but it's still going to take all our efforts to truly get there. Thanks for being here.